This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. Happy New Year, everyone. In this episode, Arnold Bonzen from 500 Startups and I continue our review of the major events in Southeast Asia and what is to come in 2018. Welcome back. And with me, Arnold Bonzem, venture partner at 500 Startups and co-founder of Bad on the Money. We did the first part on Southeast Asia. I, I mean, maybe this is because this is my directory. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> so we needed to do a two-part. And I think the question now is that we want to go into the event four. And then this is probably a big topic because I'm getting, you know, five years ago, if I talk to somebody from China, they have no interest in Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk to the media portals there, nobody cares. Today, they are like calling me up every other day and say, hey, do you have any interesting news on Baidu Alibaba Tencent? You know, mobile, Ofo, Xiaomi, Huawei, you know, this is becoming very interesting. And I think one of the major things that actually happened, I think it started since 2014 in where I work because SingPost was invested by Alibaba for more than US 450 million above. So that steps up the whole game of what Alibaba is doing in this region and now Tencent is adding in. And so event four to me is Alibaba and Tencent stepping up their global expansion plans in Southeast Asia and India. You probably have observed all this thing going on. Amazon is in too and Google has been much more active in tackling against the Indian startup unicorns in that with Amazon as well. Who will actually win out this e-commerce logistics and cloud computing between Amazon and Alibaba in Southeast Asia? Because I've been hearing startup founders, I've been hearing corporations Mm -hmm. that they're willing to go with Alibaba Cloud. To my American audience, I'm very sorry to tell you that people don't care about privacy here. People care about price sensitivity. People care about what kind of services you give in this region. So where, where do you think this will go? Well, to answer the maybe the first part of your question, I feel what is very interesting now is a lot of those Chinese companies need to go outside of China because the, the growth in China for them is quite limited now. And I will maybe split that in two waves. I think the one Chinese company who have done pretty well at expansion well, I've been company, as you mentioned, like ZTE, Huawei. So those are very B2B companies. But then you also got Ayer, who's more like B2C, who have done very well overseas, or Lenovo through the acquisition of, uh, of the ThinkPad of IBM, for example. So these have been like several of Chinese companies who have done pretty good expansion overseas. Depend how you consider Foxconn as Chinese or Taiwanese, but it's also one who have done well at, at expansion. So I think it's, they start to learn about how to go outside of China, where U.S. companies are quite used to already to go outside of U.S. quite quickly. I think the second wave of those companies are more like the Xiaomi, the Alibaba, Tencent, G.com, for example. Those are or Ofo, Obike, like those companies are going, are going outside of, of, of their own region to expand. I think then when you look at cloud computing, I think is in Southeast Asia, when you ask founders what they should use, the no-brainer is AWS. So it's the first in mind. Everyone will say, I, I need to use cloud computing, what should I use? AWS, right? And I feel it's fair, right? That they're just a leader and is, is one that everyone think about. But I usually really like the person who after that say, well, depends, what do you need? And depending on what you do, maybe Google Cloud or Microsoft Azure or AliCloud or IBM may be the most relevant one for you. And I feel this is the right question. It's like, who between those four or five is the right for you? What I've been the challenge before, and as you mentioned about the price, is I saw a lot of funders going for the one offering the biggest number of free credits. 
But as soon as they created that gun, they're like, oh, no, I need to move to AWS, basically, to, to make that simple, right? What I feel also interesting on AliCloud is so far in Southeast Asia, in terms of data center, all those people have data center in only one city, Singapore. And so far, what I saw is only Alibaba Cloud announcing the opening Indonesia. Price will be a massive competition between those players. Features also will be a massive part of the competition. Another thing would be, who can use AliCloud in South Asia and know well about how to use it? So how do you find the talent to build all your thing on AliCloud infrastructure? There's way more available on AWS. So it's also that part that you need to consider is, is having the talent who know how to use it. If the CTO is not very familiar with AliCloud or Tencent Cloud, they may don't move to it. They may maybe still prefer to go to AWS. And then you get a wide range of startups like where they get, I know startup working with the pharma industry where you get a lot of confidentiality or startup working in the payment industry or those kind of things. They may don't go for a Chinese cloud provider. They may prefer to go for the US one. So then, then you may get that. But I agree with you. A lot of them where they may don't care too much about confidentiality and those kind of things, and they would just go for the cheaper one. I think that there are a lot of other Chinese companies that also should be included with the global expansion, for example, DJI, Cheetah yes, Mobile, correct. all that. Yeah. And uh, Foxconn is a Taiwanese, Taiwanese company, yeah. but have major operations in China. So what I thought was interesting is that the world seems to be divided between Alibaba and Amazon at first. Somehow, On e-commerce, later, yes. Later yeah. in the year, we hear Tencent coming in. I think all started with the massive investment in Gojek, and then mm-hmm. you start hear, hearing rumblings of JD.com coming to this area and start surveying. And they, for one, so one interesting thing that I think a lot of people don't know is that the aid of Southeast Asia for Tencent doesn't sit in Singapore. He actually sits in Indonesia because I had the mm-hmm. opportunity to sit on a panel with him. And he's talking about introducing the QR code payments into Singapore mm-hmm. small medium businesses. And I thought he was pretty convincing because he really understood the market and the way the strategy is going at the moment is that whether it's Alipay or Tenpay for that is that they want to corner just the 30% of Chinese tourists entering Southeast Asia. They don't care about the other 70%. I think it's very smart to leverage first the Chinese kind of Correct. diaspora and tourists because they're already on Alipay. They're already on Tencent Pay. So, so those people will be the first user. Then as soon as you, you get all those all those shops, then it will be also easier to get the other ones. So it's a pretty smart strategy for entering the market. But when we talk about e-commerce, I want to bring more players. I feel like Amazon and Alibaba in South Asia are the obvious one. But what I feel very interesting is, I think if you look at them, Apple is doing pretty well by buying, <laughs> by selling online, right? And they also did a pretty interesting partnership with Lazada to sell all their product on Lazada. I mean, most of them at least. But another one I feel, if I were from that industry, I will be scared about Facebook. Because if you look at every e-commerce company, they have the media arm to, to attract uh, customers and have a, a weekly or daily relationship with them. You would only buy on a weekly basis, maybe on a monthly basis or be weekly, right? The thing, if you look at Amazon, they got Amazon Prime, they got Twitch, right? You look at Alibaba, it's very interesting. Usually they mostly go through acquisition for that. So they bought Twitch. If you look at Alibaba, they bought Yuku Duku for like 4 billion plus, right? So most of them have this strategy. But if you look at Facebook, they already have the major platform. It's a major platform. They don't build any content and they're making money out of it already. And they're moving to the marketplace on it. I don't know how Facebook will move that, but I feel that Facebook could be the biggest threat. It's like, if I'm a bank, I'm not scared about other bank. I will be scared about Alipay. That's in China. But let me have a... Even if outside of China. I'll play the contrarian here because I feel that Facebook has squandered its expansion in Asia. It has the perfect chance by taking its Facebook Messenger to just clone WeChat and do exactly what WeChat is doing for the rest of Asia. Mm-hmm. Instead, it let 
WeChat now go, going out of China and entering into this market. And for sure, the reason why QR code payments is mm-hmm. going to work in Southeast Asia is because most of the emerging markets don't have the culture of credit cards. I mean, if you talk about mm-hmm. Indonesia credit card penetration is less than 0.5%, 0.5% a year there. The key of getting QR code payments to work is probably going to work in Thailand, it's probably going to work in Philippines, probably going to work in Indonesia, not so much in Singapore because we are quite advanced in... Five credit card per percent maybe. Yeah, that's right. So I think that this is something that is going to win out for the Chinese companies in terms of their payment strategy. I mean, look at what Alipay and Tempay is doing even in UK. Mm-hmm. They are putting up Chinese advertisements in the London tube. No, no, agree. I mean, agree. I think yeah. if you look at payment, I think Alipay is doing very well. And I think the, the recent article on Wired about Alipay and the Alipay score, your three digits, is, is quite interesting and scaring in a way about what could be the future of what they know about you. I think WeChat and their payment system through WeChat is a very smart thing too. But the thing is, so far, Alipay and WeChat have been still very Chinese. So... You can have a billion users on both platforms, but so far it's mostly Chinese people in China or Chinese people overseas or people working with China, right? The thing is, then when you look at Facebook, is a, is, is a different uh, playbook. They have like three basically chatting app in a way. You get Messenger, you get Instagram, because you can do chat on Instagram and group chat in Instagram, and you got WhatsApp. All of them are almost a billion users, right? And the CEO of Messenger is Marcus, who was the former CEO of PayPal. So payment no, will be there. That's the problem. He's been there for the job for three years. And until today, Messenger still can't do payments for shit. Well, I feel... I feel I, I'm, just, I'm just saying it for, from, from a very... Yeah, no, no. Agree, agree. This is... Point, right? I, I was looking forward fair enough. when they hired Dave Marcus from Facebook, right? I was like saying, okay, they are going to do the WeChat strategy. But sorry... What did they came up with in the last three years? Chatbots? That's bullshit. Come on. The, the thing is, I feel on Facebook is the day they really want to do it, it's, it's good luck for you because there's 2 billion users behind them that using them on a, on a, at least on a weekly basis I or would, a monthly I basis. Would, I, 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 Look actually, what they did with Snapchat. Yeah, the day they want to do it is and, and they really move it is very challenging for the person who have less user than them. You see, why I think Facebook come in this market is pretty simple. They just don't understand the emerging markets problems. In, in terms of payment infrastructure. And, and that comes to my next question as well. I mean, what's Tencent's strategy in Southeast Asia? And because they're entering with JD, they're entering Garena, mm-hmm. they also have investments with all the various messaging apps in the region. So they have to take on not just Alibaba, right? They also have to take on Amazon. They just have to take on Google, Facebook, all at the same time. And it seems to me that their strategy seems to be, let's go for the largest market. I mean, they even bypass Singapore, although they may have a small presence in Singapore. But they are actually thinking in terms of largest market and in terms of partnerships. Do you see Tencent actually becoming a stronger force or they will just be at some point going to the, the Chinese way of doing things? Let's just ally each other and kill off the rest and then yeah. we'll settle it between ourselves later. I think first, I'm a huge fan of Tencent. I really like what they do. They're very low profile. Uh, the CEO Ponima is quite low profile too compared to, right. to Jack Ma. I think a lot of people know Jack Ma is CEO of Alibaba. I don't think so many people know who is the CEO of Tencent. Ponima. Uh, Ponima, <laughs> right? It's not the same family. They, there's no, um, um, they're not relatives. But the thing is, I feel that Tencent also based on what they do mostly gaming and WeChat and some other thing is they're really on the software side, on the very scalable side and on, on the margin side. Where if you go to Alibaba on the logistic e-commerce, uh, marching are not very high. It's like it's like Amazon. So I feel on that way, they may be way more lean 
than than an Alibaba. So I think I think this may be that trend. Gaming is also amazing in terms of community you can build and people to who you can sell things that are used to online payments. And and if you want to convert only all the gaming people to e-commerce, I think you grab a large part. So what I feel for a lot of those industries is Tencent may go from from the gaming side and the chatting side. So basically you look at what someone will do on a daily basis. So it's why I feel the bike could be very interesting for the ride hailing industry. So what you do on a daily basis, so it's like payments like Alipay or gaming or WeChat. So it's like chatting. And it's why I feel Facebook also is strong on, is what I use on a daily basis, right? And then on top of that, you build like the e-commerce and the marketplace and all those kind of the things where like more low uh, engagements, like more like on a bi-weekly or monthly, but maybe higher margin depending on what are the other business you do, right? And also help those companies to diversify and not have all the money by payment fees or advertisement. You know, you brought up the point about Tencent. I, I think in comparison between Tencent and Facebook, this is I have this magical chart in my room and it's usually what I do is I've stayed on Facebook. You have Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook itself, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at Tencent, they have QQ, yeah. they have WeChat, yeah. and now they have Honor of Kings, mm-hmm. which is a gaming app. And for sure, my friend Matthew Brandon will tell you how difficult it is to get off being addicted to Honor of Kings. And it's not in the rest of the world, it's called Arena of Valor or by mm-hmm. some other name that we don't really know because Tencent is just very bad at naming their games outside of China. But where it's coming to me is that Tencent's monetization opportunities are far more overreaching as compared to Facebook. I think part of the reason why data markets couldn't drive this payment strategy forward is because the US payment infrastructure is very different from the emerging payment infrastructure. I mean, we see mobile payments really took off in China. We see QR codes really took off yeah. in China. We're going to see the same strategy being replicated, not just in China, in India, because Alibaba owns 40% of Paytm, which is probably the best and more, most likely successful payments unicorn in India. You see them going into Gojek in Indonesia. There is this very much more stronger in-depth relationship that they can do as compared to Facebook. Because Facebook's primary model is actually advertising. If you really take yeah. their, look at their quarterly results, most of the revenues mm-hmm. is just coming from advertising and nothing so else. So the thing is, if we, when we look at Facebook, I think their trend is, is maybe the only platform with 2 billion users. So they have the reach that people don't have. Sure. And then they also have those three apps that we mentioned that where on each of them, they may have a billion user, right? So I think I think this is the reach first, right? They have the reach. Then is all do you monetize that part? The other part, I think the challenge that Facebook managed, it was not an easy one. It was the transition from being a web company to a mobile company when now they have more revenue on mobile than on the web. So this was a, not that easy transition for them to do since in the US, it's maybe more like use at the web than on the mobile, for mm-hmm. example, compared to Asia where most of people will be mobile because they don't have a laptop. So the thing is, they manage that transition. And then I agree with you on the payments. For those companies, it's difficult to really understand what is Asia because their pattern or their usage is about what is a U.S. company, U.S. market. I don't know if they're still doing it, but for a while at least, Facebook was a day in a week where the internet connection can slow down. Yeah. Just for them to get used to, hey, your graphics are amazing, everything is amazing, but if I don't get a good internet connection like in some countries in Africa or in Asia... This is useless because if the pad never the page never load, it doesn't work. So it's when they also launched Facebook Lite to get a, a, a lower version in terms of allowing people with a lower broadband to uh, to do it. I think they come with different perspective. And same when we look at e-commerce, also look at Walmart. Or also look at the French company owned by the Mullias family. Because some of those people come from the retail and some of them come from e-commerce. But I feel a lot of them will do the whole spectrum at the end. 
And then is it Walmart who win against Amazon? I don't know. I will maybe feel Amazon is a good shape. But if Amazon want two more to get as much shop as Walmart, how much this will cost? I think this will be a pretty good thing that we will monitor ongoing whether Tencent and Facebook, how they're going to duke it out in Southeast Asia. But one thing for sure that I've just heard this from Nuni Panel from Wall Street mm-hmm. Journal, that Google is actually giving Paytm a run in their money with their new test app. Which actually, for I'm surprised Google can actually do a payments app well in India. Yeah, but Google Wallet also yeah, been there for a while. Right. But when we compare Facebook and Tencent, Facebook also tried to bring back games on Messenger, where before Facebook was huge on games and basically this engagement really decreased. And then now they have launched also those mini games in 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 Messenger, so they want to bring back gaming also on their platform. So it's quite interesting to see them. Yeah, on on, well, on that, see, that I, I'm more bullish on Tencent than on Facebook. So I'm going to come to the last event, which I think is very interesting. I think you pointed this out really, and I really didn't thought about it in that way. There is a consolidation and also strategic partnerships that's formed between the disruptors, mm-hmm. whether it's Uber, Grab, and the incumbents in Southeast Asia. For example, incumbents mean the traditional taxi companies like Comfort, Delgro. And I think that there is a very rich part of the conversation that's actually not drawn out. And I, I would like you to tell me, about what is the observation in Southeast Asia? I found like several of those kind of partnership. What I find interesting is usually you just feel like the new company, the startup will just come and disrupt the old company, right? And what is interesting also is to see like how the company like Alibaba and Tencent behave. Alibaba usually go for acquisition, right? So if you look at Alibaba and Lazada, they put two times a billion, but at the end they own 83% of Lazada. So they went for acquisition. Where Tencent is more on a partnership strategy. So, for example, they did also these joint ventures in, in Thailand with Ugbi. So, Tencent usually is more like partnership and Alibaba is more like looking at acquisition. It's different behavior, also different DNA in terms of companies. But then what we also saw is like a lot of those um, new companies are also looking to partner with those incumbents. So, for example, for distribution. So, if you look at Uber, they are, in a way, I will say they're old because it's already like eight years plus old. When they come in Singapore, they need cars. So they also did a partnership with Smooth, right, to get car for their driver. Or if you look at N Financial, they also, or more, they have partnership with 7-Eleven because they need to distribute also their, their product. So, and they need to, to, to rely on retail also sometimes. It's not everything online because some people, maybe they need to pay cash and they, online means usually credit card or and on debit card. the processing for them is Nets in Singapore for Alipay in the last few years. Yeah. And then you see like partnership like family businesses like the, 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 the Lipo family in Indonesia did a partnership with Grab. Or you see Gojek doing a partnership with Bluebird, so the, the one of the leadership taxi company in Indonesia, right? Or you see recently Uber also selling their uh, a large, um, the majority stake in their uh, rental car company to Confordel Grow, right? Yeah, so that's a US 400 million deal. And to be honest, in Singapore, $400 million deal between Uber and ComfortDelgro. So if you think the market is small, sorry, the deals are very big, much bigger than what you have seen in Indonesia. You see, like, for example, initially SpaceMob, a coking space, did a partnership with Ascendas. That's right. So you get a real estate company here doing a partnership with a new company. And then SpaceMob got acquired by WeWork, right? <laughs> so then we go back to the, the talent war. So is it WeWork acquiring SpaceMob for the talent? Must yeah. be one of the, the reasons. Same, you see Google who bought Pi. Must be more for the talents. Maybe we'll start to see a little more of Akiarid. Like Carousel have done several Akiarid too right. to get so some teams. One interesting part of this is that you don't see that in the US and the China. In China and US markets, you tend to see disruptors are very anti-incumbent. I mean, Amazon and Walmart, I think, is the best example, right? They are literally on each other's toes and they are trying to go into each other's territory. You see China, I mean, Ali 
Pay and Tenpay, which Alibaba and Tencent, what they are doing is they are totally disrupting the banks. In fact, the traditional banks have not much digital strength at all. They are very dependent on Alipay and Tenpay at the moment. So, and this is also happening in the insurance industry in China. It's also happening the same thing in the US. But I think Southeast Asia has this very strange yeah. dynamic that's going on, right, between the incumbent and disruptors. Because state. even if like US company will do partnership here, for example, Disney signed a partnership with iFlix, right, in Malaysia. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, for example, another very interesting one is before the launch of Amazon you got this this partnership called Live Up which I subscribe because it's kind of definitely a no-brainer you got Taobao Lazada Redmart which all of those companies are basically Alibaba partnership with Uber and Netflix to create this partnership to be able to compete against uh, Amazon Prime so then you get a mix between US companies like Uber and Netflix partnering with Chinese company again a US company so, so you start to see like I think it's because also the war is they want to go fast. And if you want to go fast, it's easier to do a partnership than try to build by yourself. What I feel very interesting is when you look at company like basically Facebook, Amazon, Google, they don't do that much acquisition in the region. I know they have some talk or even if Airbnb, but it didn't have been true. You know, the Chinese have a saying in the Romance of Tree Kingdom, which is actually the first line of that book, is that Everything that will come together will break apart. Everything that will break apart will eventually come together. So there are a lot of alliances going on. Essentially, they will come to a situation where they will also break apart. Do you see these fractures will happen at some point? I think it's still early to say because a lot of those partnerships have just happened in the last one to two years. And several industries are doing it a lot. Like the ride-dealing are doing a lot. I mentioned like SpaceMob and Ascendas. But you also got Collective Works with Capital Land. Mm. Uh, and Capital Land also have done partnership with several other players. So Capital Land is quite also a large player. I will say that the country also where a lot of partnership is France. So France, for example, has a lot of partnership between corporate to engage with startups, for example. So I think you also get some cultures where people are more willing to do partnership and some cultures where people are, are maybe better at just with our own thing alone and this is our way to do things. I think both have pros and cons. I think then is go back to what is the DNA of the company? What is the best match for you to grow it by, by adopting the right strategy? I think we have talked a lot about Southeast Asia in, in the past mm -hmm. almost 60 minutes. And I think it's probably much more interesting to actually come into talking about what's going to be the most interesting things that will happen in 2018. Of <laughs> course, stop shot of the Uber IPO that's supposed to happen in 2019 as promised by Dara, but things may change. What are the predictions on Southeast Asia and particularly in the whether startup ecosystem or the corporates? On the startup side, when we look especially for Singapore, I think we start to see more, but I would like to see even if more like B2B startups because of the size of the market. I think is you should focus more on B2B than B2C when, when you are based in Singapore and also because of the costs of <laughs> running a business here. So I feel I would like to see more B2B startups with also a global market. So for example, a company like Nugget, a company like Elint, those guys are really looking at the global scale. And I feel like we can see more company like that. There's also a lot of more and more like space company also coming out from Singapore. So a little bit more like, let's say, bullish company. But I think these also come with the maturity of the ecosystem, where now you can just build a new e-commerce company. You need to build something like more complex if you want to survive. It's just kind of a Maslow pyramid. Is If you're in San Francisco in Israel and you create a company, you need to be on top of what is existing. I think the level is really like going up in Southeast Asia. 
pins are obviously staged now. This is one thing, and also based on that, also see more VC like WaveMaker or Quagro being bullish about backing up B two B startups and and having large part of you not know, the majority of their portfolio in a, in a, in in B two B. I feel also what we mentioned before a challenge on on attracting talent in the region, being able to attract and retain the top talent in the region. I think some government can play their roles on on that part too by. Helping MNCs to set up their office here, having MNC also to do research and development here by attracting those kind of talents. For example, I found that one unicorn uh, from overseas called Human Longevity, they have around like 50 employees according to LinkedIn in Singapore. Most of them are technical people. So it's not only you are unicorn, you set up your office in Singapore, it's a cell office, but you set up your office here and you build things here. Because those people may stay two, three, four years and then they will build something. Like a company like Palantir, very interesting. There's already some startup who have been built out of, of employees who are left Palantir to build their own company, like Orangi, for example. So I think this is something I, I suspect we'll see more coming in the next few years. Then you may get some alumni from Grab and Gojek building their own companies too, based also on what they may have learned in those companies. So I, I think this we'll start to see that in 2018, but maybe more like for 2019 too. Expecting more funding for Series B and C. So means maybe hopefully get one or two, or even if at least maybe let's say two, three VCs raising a 100 million plus fund in the region to be able to fund like a little bit more like A and B startup at least and potentially maybe some investors were willing to do C and above. Uh, I think this will also helping helping to uh, to build the ecosystem here. And something that we start to see recently a little bit more is including by uh, Lim Dershin who is doing a class about angel investing with Dr. Wealth or familiar with the partnership with INSET also to do some education for VC. I would like also to see a little bit more education for investors being sure um, we don't see too much bad term sheet or bad terms or uh, board meetings not run in a proper way. Hopefully, we'll see more of those kind of things in the future. There was one thing I, I thought we, we have a chat before we actually started this conversation. It's about the upcoming payment wars between oh, yeah. Alipay, Tempay, Grab, Gojek, Razor, Garena, or C now. Mm-hmm. Because seriously, everybody, when you hear the word Garena, it's just talking about C. Okay? C yeah. I think Honest B is also involved. A lot of companies are actually involved in this payment war games. So I, I think that payment war will be very interesting because I will do the split between two categories. You may get the local player like Grab, Garena, C, and Gojek. So this will be the local player. And with advantage for Grab and Gojek, they already have a massive number of, of, of users. And for them, it's, I feel strategic to have payments because I will use payment on a daily basis. I may don't do a booking on a daily basis, but they're building habits with you. And this is a very interesting part. Because if I always use that half for payment, I may use it for other things. So this is the Gojek playbook, which was a 10 cent playbook. And by the way, to go back to Facebook, when he was a professor at IMD, he was saying like, what is a messenger roadmap is, is WeChat. This is a roadmap of messenger. Yeah. But, but I agree with you so far. We didn't saw that much on, 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 on the, that I'm part. I'm the one who says since 2014 that Facebook should just clone WeChat, but they freaking didn't listen to me. And then on the second part, I like more like the foreign company where you got Tencent, Alipay with Unfinancial, Alibaba, Razor, who also have something with Mo. Um, so we go back to those kind of partnership and Apple Pay also. So I think it's quite interesting because those may be among the most strong players in that field, but you get way more than that You can in terms of payment system. I think I'm quite curious to see which one will dominate South Asia, which one may dominate some countries. Start to see like which kind of payment people will use. I just this this month my first transfer of money between two Grab Pay accounts. It was pretty easy to do, pretty pretty fine. Uh, interesting, we did that and not PayPal, where where we both had PayPal accounts, but but we did Grab Pay. Uh, maybe a little bit of curiosity about how it works after after I've done like few payments through it. So I think this this would be very interesting to see like who will be able to, to emerge as a as as a leader. 
Uh, I think this would be also like a massive battle between those different people to be able to get that part. And of course, Alibaba will, and all the e-commerce companies, Alibaba and Amazon. Let's see what Amazon do also on that part, if, if they're willing to adapt here and, and uh, maybe do a potential partnership with Grape. They may they may don't they may go more to grab maybe not to to the ten cent part yeah. we'll, we'll 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 see the enemy of the project enemy is my friend, right? <laughs> so so yeah so we'll, we'll see all those kind of partnership structure may happen or if Amazon want to build its own payment system in a, in a, in the region. Arnold, many thanks for coming on the show. Two thanks for having me. Pretty long conversation and we talk a lot of data. I want to ask you in two questions for the closing. First, can you recommend a book, podcast, or movie which has major impact of your personal life and work life recently? So I got I got asked the same question by A twenty seven recently about but about the books uh, I read this year and which one was the interesting one. I think if I keep one, the, the one where I feel like very interesting is so it's a book that I found in a small shop in Portugal, which is a and when I was there and it was a book in French, so it was quite funny to find that there. And this book is a thesis of a uh, of a French guy who wrote like a thousand two hundred pages about Porto. So Porto is a second city in Portugal. The first one is Lisbon, which is the capital. And the book is about Porto and their position in their region. So I thought that very interesting because it's a book about more like urbanization and how a second tier city can build its own ecosystem, attract talent and etc. to themselves. And and what is all the other cities around them? So what is the agglomeration? So it's very interesting because it's like Basically, instead of thinking about Lisbon and Porto, think about Tencent and Alibaba and the investment they're doing around them is like the other small cities around them who are, who are gravitating around them and how they can fight against each other and how they can attract the top talent and etc. So I like it because it was very deep and it's not only about, you know, half a page press coverage about something happened. And I like it because when I read that, I read through the perspective about how do you do between two startups or two large companies to attract talent and, and see like what are the, the constraints you have and the challenge you need to face. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting to and also refreshing but not really only about tech. Even if I was always thinking about tech behind, but I really like uh, that kind of book. Mm-hmm. Interesting you mentioned Paul Lewis. Also the football club is the start for my favorite manager who got his career break. Jose Mourinho. Mourinho yeah. Right. So Mourinho, Mourinho by the way was impressive because he, he came to up in Porto, he won the UEFA Cup, then he won the Champions League. And then he went to several clubs where usually he don't do that well the first year, but usually the second year he, he won a, a major title. The change of Mourinho, I think the team doesn't last with him. It's, yeah. it's a very, so it's kind of the guy you need to bring if you want to win a title, but it's not like an Arsenal Wenger at Arsenal for, for 10 years. I have a book to recommend and it's funny, I'm actually going back into history. It's called The Corporation That Changed the World by oh, yeah. Robbins. And it's a book about the East India Company. And a lot of people probably didn't know yeah, this yeah. is probably the first multinational company in the 1600s and it expanded for at least 274 years before it collapsed in 1874. And basically it, it builds on going to how they actually colonize other countries and how they expand. It gives you a very deep understanding of how, how does the first major multinational corporation actually work in the past. And then you try to relate in today's world mm-hmm. with Google. You relate to this world with Alibaba, Tencent, and then Amazon. And then you start seeing, oh yes, there's some very interesting some parallels. Except, unlike the guys of today, East India Company actually own a freaking army. So, I think this is something that's worth thinking about. Well, instead of instead of army, they own the data. So, oh, yeah, I think, I think, is, yeah, I think really it's more or less the same. How do they find you? I think the best way to find me is mostly LinkedIn. So they, they can find me on LinkedIn as well as on, on Facebook and Twitter. And you can find me at Bernard Leung or at BernardLeung.com. You can subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, 
and tune in of course google play in the u.s market tweet to me gave me feedback gave us a five star rating in itunes or recommend us on overcast so arnold once again thank you for this 70 minute marathon with me thanks for having me and you're going to come back again right coming back soon